Alexa, what time is it? It's 6.28 p.m. <gasps> oh, good grief. That's outrageous. We're going to have to sack presenters or something, aren't we? And welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sansbury. Okay, so apologies for the late start, but here we are. So it's a, it's another fantastic Sunday. How are you, Ian? How am I doing? Yeah, yeah not bad at all. We've got cricket back, haven't we? So that makes all the difference. Have we? Do, uh, I, I can't say that that has, um, that's kind of really, that's gone past me, that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, no. So, uh, yeah, not a, not a, not a bad week at all. So, uh, funny old weather. I was ever so pleased that it was uh, forecast was nice today, and I, I was doing my domestic god routine. Hung a load of washing out late last night. That'll be dry. It's not dry. Oh dear, you've um, you haven't done a Michael Fish, have you? I've I've been I've been overly bemoistened and not in a good way. So it's been, yeah, very ordinary. What about your week, mate? Um, it's been a week of varying levels of amount of chaos. Um, I have um, just come back from, so nothing kind of really exciting to report. I've literally just stepped in from um, going out from a walk to try and enjoy some fresh air. Um, and it's very muggy out there. It was so muggy that I I didn't take my wallet. Oh, it's a good sign. Um, but... Um, but yeah, it's okay. It's a you know, it's a pleasant day. Um, nobody's been injured. I haven't cracked open any wine yet. I've still got a nice cup of tea. So, um, so today's show. What have we got, Ian? Yeah, all roads lead to Moan. We've got a bit of local and a bit of national. So we uh, obviously there's uh, the PCC this week started a consultation on the new clean air zone. Following on from the climate emergency, there's a uh, a couple of proposals in play as to where Portsmouth should be having its clean air zone and who gets charged and who doesn't. So as with all discussions vis-a-vis traffic and travel in Portsmouth, I'm sure there's going to be some spicy elements in that one. And then later in the week... I don't know who you're talking about. Anybody um, that talks about traffic or parking in this city, they always have a really calm and well-measured conversation. No, it's um yeah, it's gonna be um it's gonna be an exciting one. And then later in the week, um Bozer unveiled his roadmap to normality with uh, a few stages along the way where lockdown can start to be eased and uh with the hope that you know, we're we're back to some kind of normality as early as November, but definitely hopefully by Christmas, so we'll, uh, we'll we'll trot through what those changes mean and uh, and um, kick them all about. Um, we shall see. Hopefully, there's no um, historical link to the um, to the up to the last thing that we told the public would be over by Christmas, um, which you know that little you know skirmish that took a, you know took place between 1914 and 1918. Um, after which, yeah. of course, then the yeah, um, went the, all of, the Spanish went all flu. Bit, that one, didn't yeah, they, but to be fair, they did, they they maybe they didn't say maybe their their get out of jail card there was that they didn't say which Christmas. Um, True. So um, there is that, um, and obviously, shortly afterwards, actually, that was when the Spanish flu happened. 
So shall we cast our eyes back onto talking about history? Shall we cast our eyes back on this day? To on this day, I, I still haven't done. I still haven't done any like little drum rolls or anything. No kind of sound effects. We um, need a jingle, don't we? We do need it. We we well when we say need, we could we could have a jingle. Maybe that would be something to think about. The other thing to think about is, of course, whether we go into recess, like Parliament's going to go into recess after next week and go on a break. No, don't. I hear our listener screaming um, that literally no one is actually saying in the um, in the live stream. Um, so, OK, so some things from um, so some things of history. 1380 on this day, Thomas Buckingham's invasion army lands in on Calais. So that's us invading the French. I guess that's um, yeah. and it's getting things back. Bit of a local flavour again. Fifteen forty-five, King Henry VIII's flagship, the Mary Rose, sing, sing, sings. It didn't sing. It sank off of Portsmouth. Um, how much? Death of how much of an oops must that have been? What? Um, I just, I, I've, I look. It's all very bad, but I've always had this vision. You know, they're, they're, it's a brand new flagship. It's. And all of a sudden, I, I can see this, you know, the the crowd on land going, isn't it meant to be doing that? Is it supposed to be going at that angle? Um, it looks like it's sinking to me. It can't be sinking. Well, I, yeah. I, I guess it's the um, the Tudor equivalent of the space shuttle disasters, isn't it? Of It's not going to do that, is it? Yeah, um, yeah but I just have, have this sort of um moment and then people try not to giggle. I should imagine people weren't giggling at the time, to be fair. But um, but um, but yeah, that's um, thankfully our navy is a little bit more well prepared since then. Yeah, indeed. Um, so um, also on this day, fifteen ninety five, astronomer um, Jonas Kepler um, has an epiphany and develops his theory of the geometrical basis of the universe while teaching in Graz. So, so there we owe that to the. Um, to his revelation there. 1692, five more people are hanged for witchcraft in the Salem Witch Trials. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty ugly, wasn't it? We're not going to get into a bit of Stephen King now, are we? Yeah. Um, SS Great Britain, 1843, um, is launched, um, designed by Isambard Kingdom Brunel. Oh, did I not see something on that? Didn't that end up in the Falklands? Uh, no, didn't she? Ed, isn't um, she actually kind of abandoned on an estuary in in um, near Liverpool? It could be. I wonder which one it is. It was one of the great steamships. I was something I caught on the news said that it was abandoned in the Falklands and they towed it back to Bristol. That must have been something. Um, yeah, because one of, wasn't one of them used to actually to um, um, lay cables for the wireless traffic. Yeah, something like that. Um, so, we shouldn't really cover history. We're not very good. It's not our special no, subject. It's, um, it's just, it's just, we're, we're, we're as good at history as Boris Johnson is discussing scientific evidence. Um, so um, let's. Uh, oh, there's so much to. Um, there's so much to pick from. Let's have. Uh, so we've got. We've got, he says, should there be a drum roll? Um, this is where you do more preparation in advance of the episode, so I do apologise, listeners. Um, 
We don't seem to have Let's finish with the 1941. The 1941. Um, yes. Adolf Hitler orders Great Britain to surrender. How did that no, work out? Can't make me. I'm not going to wave a flag or anything because I'm, I'm not one of them numpties that will do that. Um, but also, to be fair, on 1941, Winston Churchill launches his V Victory campaign. So, um, oh. so um, that kind of worked out um, not so well also for, um, for Herr Hitler. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm sure there are lots of other actually really interesting things. But sorry, without, um, without that, let's get, on, let's get on with our current affairs, shall we? Yeah. So the clean air zone, Simon. Well, well you done. This was your topic to research for the week. What is it then? Okay. So the clean air zone, or CAS, um, as um, uh, as we would like to call it, um, is basically the idea that um, so cities around the country have actually been ordered to inst institute clean air zones by the government. Um, in order to bring their emissions of um, nitrogen dioxide, so NO2 levels, down to the uh, down to the, to the down to the levels actually stipulated uh, by the European government. Um, so I'm pleased to see that this is um, obviously we're still interested in um, in reducing pollution despite leaving the EU. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so basically the government have said you need to instigate schemes that will reduce. Um, to reduce the pollution levels um, to the satisfactory levels. Um, otherwise, we're going to charge you a whopping great ton of money in order to, um, um, basically, for, for not actually getting those levels down. So, um, so our nearest nearest neighbouring city that actually also had to had to had to wrestle with this one is Southampton. Yeah. Um, and Southampton, after doing an extensive consultation and coming up with plans that said that they were basically going to make the entire of their city a clean air zone and a chargeable clean air zone, a class B, um, they actually decided that they weren't going to go ahead because they figured that um, that basically they were going to meet the, the, um, the targeting redu reductions in pollution levels without it. Um, so there are four classes of clean air zone. Yep. Um, and there are no prices for guessing them right. But Class A involves uh, buses, coaches, taxis, and private hire vehicles. Class B um, adds private, um, sorry, adds, adds heavy goods vehicles um, to what's in Class A. Class yep. C um, adds light goods vehicles to what's in Class B. And Class D adds cars and motorbikes to what's in Class C. Um, so there seemed to be a bit of confusion on this one because I, I I read a bit online and it looked like originally we were going for a class B. Yes. And now we seem to be thinking about a class C. So there are certain assumptions made in the application. So the so Portsmouth City Council um, got together some modelling information and gave that to DEFRA. Um, so the Department of Environment, um, Farming and Rural Affairs, um, and basically to say that um, these are the measures that we would actually suggest to put in place, and this, this, these are the um, this is the data on which we are kind of we are making those assumptions. So Portsmouth City Council had put forward the suggestion of a Class B. Yep. Um, but what Defra have warned Portsmouth City Council to consider is that it is possible 
that they may need to actually instigate a class C because some of the assumptions about a class B are that a certain number of the drivers of non-compliant vehicles will have actually upgraded to newer vehicles, so therefore compliant vehicles that wouldn't be affected by the charge and aren't actually as, as, um, as, um, as emitting of NO2. Um, with the coronavirus crisis, um, there's a, an assumption that actually not so many people will be upgrading their vehicles because they're yep. not so secure with the financial situation. Um, you know, um, and as we're only talking about you know, commercial vehicles, um, lots of businesses won't be in a situation actually to, to, you know, to upgrade their vehicles um, at this time. So that's why DEFRA are saying, uh, maybe you should, think of, you, know, you should consider that you might have to actually do a C. So I guess kind of the main thing to clear, I guess the two main things to, clear, um, to, to call out is it's not the it's not Portsmouth's idea to have this. It's actually central yep. government's idea to have this, um, and the council's suggestions. None of them involve charging private cars. Yep. Right. So if you um, if you come to the island or you live on the island and you're travelling in a domestic vehicle, you would not be charged. However. If you have a non-compliant vehicle, so again, it doesn't apply to all vehicles in the classes that it that it that it prescribes. It only applies to non-compliant vehicles in those in those classes. If you, it's a non-compliant vehicle, it um, I think the the um, the figures that are being speculated are that it's um it's a ten pound a day charge for like like good vehicles and minibuses and for um and I th think for taxis. But for buses, coaches, um, sorry, HGVs, it would be £50 a day. So if I think about that, so if I'm a, so uh, it, let's say I am white van man, I'll be a plasterer. I reckon I could do that. So I'm a plasterer and I've got work in Portsmouth. So the second that I turn my smoky old diesel van off of the hills roundabout, Am I in for a tenner? Um, well, it depend. It depends on how old your vehicle is and whether it's compliant or not. So, if your vehicle meets, well, let's, let's presume it's it's non-compliant. Okay. You know, you know, it's not not a lot of money in plastering these days, bish bosh. So, I've got my old van, still good miles in her. When, when do I have to pay me tenner? So, um, by the scheme that's been uh, that's being proposed by Portsmouth City Council, you'd have to pay if you entered the zone, which effectively is the westward side of the island um, that is just south of Rudmore Roundabout, basically down to uh, down to kind of it's it's kind of like a J shaped. It's difficult to describe in a podcast, to be really honest with you, um, how it how it kind of shapes. But it's basically the 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 westward. And the kind of the southwestward part of the island that um, is, uh, you'd think it's probably the the route down the down the M two seven five from the from the bottom of the Radmore roundabout um, down towards uh, down towards the Hard and Gunwharf kind of thing. So it's that sort of area, right? So, uh, but those, so, those are the areas that so, are the most polluted in in the. So data. this is the area when, and again, Pal Cal spoke with passion when he came on about the. Um, the, you know, effectively, I'm I'm driving along. I've got I'm coming down the two seven five. I've got Charles Dickens Ward on my left. Um, so it's all through there, all the way down to down to sort of Gunwharf Way. So I guess my challenge there is, 
does that mean if I'm if bear in mind I'm now using my van to go on a booze cruise to France? Am I right that the port is exempt? So now, so uh, so the international port is exempt. Yep. Okay. Right. Um, because um, and there's several reasons for that. Um, because. Um, and in, and they kind of speak to it in the in the documentation. The theory being that actually um, that the lorries and so forth travelling to and from the port aren't going near commercial roads. So, for example, they they can't yep. be to blame for the pol- high pollution levels um, at the um, testing station at the top of commercial road. Um, and also, the port is itself going carbon neutral in the sense that they're making all of their vehicles that they use actually on site carbon neutral. And they are converting, and they are basically um, having fitted the ability for uh, ferries that come to the port or ships that come to the port um, to actually plug into the mains rather than run yep. their engines. So, although you'd think, hang on, why are you why are you not including the port? So, if you're if you're going to France, then you wouldn't, because you, unless you drive a really circumventuous route around the city, you'd literally come off the M two seven five at the Rubmore roundabout, go into the go into go into the continental ferry port. And you you wouldn't actually be paying the charge, if if however you're going on a ferry to the Isle of Wight, you would. Ooh. So this is why Corkheads cool, cool aren't going to like that, are they? So this is why the Isle this is why the Isle of Wight um, there's there's lots of cries of this being an issue from uh, from traders on the Isle of Wight and from Isle of Wight ferries, because um, there's a concern that actually by doing that, um, what might happen is that it actually just encourages. Um, freight freight lorries instead to instead of going through Portsmouth to the Isle of Wight um to actually go to Southampton and therefore because Southampton serves different ports on the Isle of Wight than we do it would mean that they have to then actually drive across the island across the yeah. Isle of Wight so in that respect you know is that just moving the pollution from our city to another you know further down the M27 through Southampton um and then on to the and then on to the Isle of Wight um so there is that that kind of concern um, I guess some of the um, some of the people against the idea of having a so there's so I guess there's three schools of thought on this. There's the one school of thought that says we shouldn't have it at all. There's the there's a school of thought which is what the council have gone for, which is there's a solution here which prevents the prevents the council being fined millions of pounds by Defra um, that that basically occupies a part of the island for certain vehicles. Um, or yep, the yep. other the other school of thought which is favoured, I believe. Um, by the local uh, Labour Party, and, 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 and I'm assuming by other um, other parties, um, would would actually be to have the clean air zone across the entire of the island. Um, oh, hang on. So now let's just let's just look at this with me in my theoretical van. Okay. So in my th- so in my theoretical we, van, I've been all right. We should explain going on my booze cruise. We should explain to listeners that this is a theoretical van because trusting you to drive a van would not be really. It, it would be less safe than asking you to drive to Durham, wouldn't it? So, yeah, 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 very, very, very much so. So, um, so I, I'm all right for me booze cruise, mm-hmm. but if I've got a job in commercial road, I'm going to get, I'm going to have to pay me tenner for every day that I'm working down in commercial road. Um, so, if it's a commercial van, yes, it is. Yeah, so or it's plastering. Okay, so um, if we have a class C, yes, 
um, which at the moment isn't a certainty. So there's there's a possibility that we might have to have a class C. Um, but in this theoretical situation, for the rest of the city, I can drive. Is there a way that I can sneak around the outside? I guess if you make that main artery into the city your only chargeable piece, I guess if I'm going to end, if my destination is going to end up in the clean air zone, I'm going to get a tenner, whatever. But I guess the risk is that it moves traffic off of the 275 and onto the eastern road. Um, well, if, if you're, um, but to be fair, if you're kind of much further east than the centre of the city, you probably would use the eastern road anyway. Yeah, I guess Cause, so. Cause, I guess know, it's that. I mean, as yeah. as as neither of us drive, I don't. I don't know that I'm maybe. Reasonably spatially aware. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I. So there's there's um, you know there's I mean there is a wealth of data and information that both the council have um released and that um and that the government have released, and that indeed other other um cities have um have looked at that kind of deals with d deals with um all these sorts of situations there's a there's a wealth of measurement information there's a wealth of kind of looking at it i guess fundamentally it comes down to we need to do something about the the really harmful levels of pollution that occur yep. in in um in in certain parts of the city um and there's some quite um frightening mapping that takes place of the numbers of cases of respiratory fatalities that occur in those areas um now doing anything to reduce pollution so they, mm. these these sorts of emissions are reducing actually over time as people actually upgrade their vehicles um so they are actually tending tending actually to uh to reduce kind of naturally in that in that kind of sense but what this does is it tries to nudge people into upgrading their vehicles earlier on mm. um so um there have been calls that there'd be this be back kind of backed up with some kind of scrappage scheme to it you know to encourage uh encourage those that would be affected uh by the scheme to to actually upgrade their vehicles um as an example um the the i think it's about 105 uh local buses have actually been upgraded so that they meet compliance with this scheme, um, the city council have rolled out electric charging points across the city, um, and they're working with um, taxi companies to kind of, you know, to um, to have yeah. kind of new vehicles. So there are the problem is though, Simon, and this is where the challenge comes. Yeah, is that as somebody who was in the market for a new car only last year, we had a little look around, and you know, we looked at hybrids and we looked at. We looked at, we didn't look at any fully electric, but we did look at hybrids. And they're just cost prohibitive, you know, even at a domestic car level. Um, you know, and again, look, you know, this is a, I, I lease my car, so they're, you know, they're brand spanking new. But when you're looking at a hybrid, the cost comparison, unless you do tens of thousands of miles, it's just too expensive. Um, well, I guess, but don't forget this scheme isn't, isn't, isn't talking about 
domestic vehicles, is it? It's... No, no, I, no, I get that. I, I guess my point is when you talk about a scrappage scheme, and again, mm-hmm. I've, I've no, I haven't attempted to buy an HGV recently, but I, I'm guessing you can get hybrid versions or Euro 6 compliant. But my, my fear is that they will be, if it mirrors the domestic market, they will be considerably more expensive. But then I'm talking myself out of it, because if you're an HGV and you do tens and hundreds of thousands of miles, then maybe maybe there's a case for looking at dual fuel. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, we, might, it might well be. I mean, don't forget the purpose of the of the clean air zone is to reduce um it's to reduce no2 levels it doesn't yeah, deal yeah. with um so you know part of the broader aims actually that the council have, have stipulated that they want want to do is to is to use the scheme you know and, and similar and the other stuff that they're doing in order to actually contribute towards the target of of the city basically being uh, carbon neutral so so although th- this this sort of scheme deals with some of the most polluting or a particular type of polluting vehicle it doesn't yep. deal with all types of pollution and it doesn't deal with carbon emissions so True. it's it's you know it's quite interesting that just looking at um 2018 contributions heavy goods vehicles buses and coaches uh contributed 20 well they they made up 24.2 percent of the of the no2 emissions um, and by 2022, they're predicted to be 14.8%. Ooh. So um, so it, it's kind of over time, vehicles are being upgraded and therefore their NO2 emissions are reducing. But this is trying, what this does is try to accelerate that process in the same way Ooh. that any other kind of form of, um, any other form of taxation seeks to seeks to do that. Um, yeah, and I mean the city-wide approach for me, um, well, it just strikes me as overkill. Um, you know, we've we've got haulage businesses um, that are based on the island, and there's an element of, you know, effectively, if you make the if you make it cost prohibitive to operate your business on the island they will take their business elsewhere and and for me that you know when you start looking at at you know small independent traders who are you know really going to be struggling at the moment that you know if you if you, if your van's going to cost you an extra 200 pound a month that that could be the difference between you know being able to operate and not being able to operate and i guess if you were a larger hauler you know if you're running i don't know 10, 15 heavy goods vehicles, you know, that, that costing you £750 a day and people can get all righteous about the, well, you should invest in better, you know, more up-to-date technology. But ultimately, the, the economic impact on the city there just looks like a disaster. Well, I, I guess I guess the kind of point... The- the broader point is it tries to do something without um, without kind of risking kind of breaking everything else um, just to get some because there's a as you you know as I said there's a, there's a wealth of data so obviously I'm not going to read all of that out but um, but the um, Alfred Road um, the Unicorn Road to A3 uh, Queen Queen Street Junction there um, just to give you an example there um, 
in their in their figures, what they're saying is actually that twenty seven percent of the of the um, of the NO two um, pollution there is actually caused by non compliant HGVs and non compliant LGVs. So, right. um, but interestingly, thirty percent of it is caused by non compliant petrol cars and and non compliant diesel cars. So, diesel cars on as a as a single um, contributor contribute more than the non-compliant HGVs and LGVs, but this scheme doesn't deal with those. Or unless you kind of start getting into, is there a higher proportion of cars being? You know, because our ta- no, taxis are actually um, separated out. So yeah, yeah. It, so it seems odd that you, you don't go after those, but then I guess it's that. But then that would yeah, start. That would start then. It's quite. A, it's quite a mixed message, isn't it? Because you know, again, I, it, there's an element of if I still owned my big old diesel X Trail, I could drive that down into the um, into town without having to pay for it. But if I get on the bus, the bus has to pay the surcharge. Yeah, um, it was. Um, there was a. There was one of the other things that's there is is um, basically um, asking non-compliant car users. Whether what a ch- so they've got different examples of different charging levels. So with a ten pound charging level, what would the ten pound charging level? Um, what would that change in their behaviour? And seventeen percent of them said that at ten pounds um, they would just pay the charge. Twenty two percent said that they would change their destination to avoid paying the charge. Fifteen um, percent said they'd use a different mode. So whether they would use a park and ride scheme or public transport or cycle and ride. Um, 20% said that they would actually replace the the vehicle, so they'd upgrade the vehicle, and 25% said that they would not make the journey at all. So it, it's kind of interesting how that then breaks down to what what that kind of changes in behaviour. Because what you'd really want, to be honest with you, the golden nugget would be for them to actually make the ch- make the journey a different way, because that still means that they're coming yes. into the city to spend their money or to, to do their business. Um, but if people do want to actually still go ahead, then it's interesting that a sizable portion would would basically retrofit. So therefore, that would reduce the pollution, but then would put more money into the economy because they're you know they're upgrading their vehicle. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting seeing how that how that actually breaks breaks down, and you see what happens. Um, but yeah, um, it's only you only get to impacting private vehicles when you actually start with a when you're doing with a class D. So um, mm. no one's suggesting a class D. Um, there are some interesting figures about what what levels of reduction would be seen from the class of clean air zone on like the two polluted um, stretches. So it was the um, what the two ones. So it was the do, 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 uh, it was the Alfred Road and the Commercial Road are the um, are the ones that actually are over over 40 uh, yep. which is the level of of, uh, of pollution that they actually um is registered by the eu law so it's interesting seeing that a class c um causes alfred road to drop by 13 percent and commercial road by 18 percent but a class b is 11 and 14 percent respectively so still a sizable mm. reduction but a yep. bit less you get massive reductions if if you actually um if you put in a class d but so I guess there's the whole kind of thing of really, how serious are you? How serious are you about actually 
um, or what se- what serious levels of um, of consequences do you want to take from uh, from taking those actions? But alongside the charging, so the clean air zone perspective, the perspective clean air zone, um, which has to be in place by um, is it autumn next year or by the end of next year, in order to start delivering the reductions in that level of pollution by 2022. Um, so the consultation is live with Ports of City Council at the moment to asking asking people kind of what their what their um, what their thoughts are with it, but it's it's kind of just interesting to see that um, actually over time the, the this issue of pollution is reducing as people upgrade their vehicles anyway, mm. um, and as fuel changes and as people move away actually from diesel vehicles, so it's. Again, this is kind of just, is this just a nudge along the road, if you pardon the pun? Um, with Because uh, when you consider it, about f- um, 46% of trips are local journeys within the island, whereas yep. 40, 54% of trips are actually traveling to the island from the mainland or from the island to the mainland. So um, what do, well, you know, um, if you're not actually stopping people traveling into the city because again, this doesn't affect domestic vehicles, um, you're going to need other measures to actually deal with that contribution of the level of traffic on the roads. Yes. Yeah, so it almost yeah. becomes like a, a local domestic tax. So when, when does the consultation period end then, Simon? Uh, the consultation period ends in August. I haven't got the precise date to hand, but it ends, I believe, in August. So uh, if people want to... Uh, want to actually have their say on um, on the clean air zone uh, consultation, then they can easily do that by going to Portsmouth City Council's website, um, and you can. I was trying to find the. I was trying to find the the actual direct link. Tell you what. what... Why don't Why don't we add the old link into the? Uh, we'll add the link into do we do. We're um. We're not getting kind of much response in the in our in our room today. I don't know whether is there something on? Have people decided not to not to watch? I don't know. But um, but yeah. So I think it, I think it's kind of an interesting thing. I think with some degree, uh, to be honest, at, at an absolute level, y- you can never do enough to reduce the levels of pollution because it's it's. It's damming in the areas of the city that are most hardest hit with um, with yep. deprivation, um, but you have got to try and find a way to balance that without actually doing such damage to the local city that actually those same people can't find any jobs. Yeah, yeah it's that. It's that. Well, you might be um, you might be breathing cleaner air, but you're going to have a lot more hours every week to do it because um, yeah, the economies. But it, but at the same state, time, so. you know. Well, yeah. let's draw a line under that one and um i'm sure there's going to be more to come on it and uh so yeah up on the screen in front of me it's, well, it's not actually on the screen in front of me but um i can hear what it says so uh boris gave his um gave his speech on a kind of roadmap to normality and and you know again it, it's interesting when you when you you see some of that stuff played back and you know one of the things that he was very very clear on is that you know we're going to hope for the best and plan for the worst, um, which, you know, when you're looking at easing restrictions, you know, you know touch wood, you know, Portsmouth is still in really good shape and, and long might continue. 
So um, I've got the milestones in front of me, Simon. And I guess the first one, which we, uh, which we might have touched on, which had already been announced, is, is next Friday, the 24th, when the wearing of face coverings will be mandatory in shops and uh, enclosed spaces. Um, how quickly is it going to be before someone starts calling people that don't, except for those that have a medical reason not to, as mask-missing morons? Oh, you know, you've, you've coined it first. It's, it's well, it's a funny one because, you know, if you look at the, so the, the, the is a mask a good thing to wear? There's been quite a discussion on it over time, you know. So the original thought was that masks may not be the best thing to wear because obviously you breathe on the mask, the mask gets wet. It's not the most comfortable thing you'll ever wear. So you fiddle with the mask. You then end up with a virus load on your hands, which you then transfer to hard surfaces. But I think the more we learned about the virus, the more it's clear that if you wear a face covering, you are less likely to transmit it if you have it asymptomatically and are less likely to get it by somebody breathing into your moist bits, as it were. Ew. Ew, indeed. But the thing I can't get over with the masks, the number of people that have lost their minds about the wearing of masks. That's a conspiracy. It's all this government, isn't it? It's seeking to control your mind. There's the lizard people. That's the lizard people making you wear a mask. I did. I thought your conspiracy theorists were few and far between. There's dozens of them, Simon. Dozens of them. Well, I mean, I still maintain that they are few and far between. It's just that they shout quite loudly. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But you know, I. It's a good thing. Will you be? Uh, I take it you'll be donning your mask, being a compliant fellow. I'm, well, I'm already donning my mask. Obviously, not right now, but I've I've got into the. I've, no. I, I picked one up from a, I picked a reusable one, so one that you can wash up from a, a retailer on the high street. Um, and Is uh, it a designer one? It, it's not a designer one. Is it got a logo? One. No. 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 Um, the number of times, actually, you say that, in um, I've seen suggested a couple of times the, the possibility of getting Liberal Democrat banded face masks um have been have been suggested by people and the number of times that has been responded to by other liberal democrats as saying this is a crazy idea i'm not walking around with with the no. with, with the name of the party on my mouth um but um there's a party on my mouth and everyone's invited um i'm i feel like i can't respond to that um so yeah i mean to be fair i I, I mean, there are lots of different options now. I've been bombarded, probably like as much like everyone else, with with adverts for the bloody things on Facebook, um, till I'm till I'm blue in the face. To the point that I actually got paralysed with decision as to which one should I buy, which one is okay. Or oh, this one looks quite quite nice. I like this one. Or can I get away with wearing this one? And in the end, I just settled for ah, this one was next to the till in W H Smiths. Um, and, That'll do nicely, and it'll it'll work. It's an inoffensive colour. It'll work. So, um, I, yeah, I, I, um, people, um, I, I, I mean, I can understand where they're coming from in the sense of there have always been people that. 
decry the freedom of the ability to not put into place safety measures. It's an infringement on my liberties not to smoke in a pub. It's an infringement on my liberties not to wear a seatbelt in a car. It's an infringement on my liberties not to drink while I'm driving that car. It's an infringement on my liberties not to take things out of a shop without paying for it. But nonetheless, yeah. it's an infringement on my liberty to only to only be able to buy a certain number of paracetamol at the same time. Nonetheless, um, of course, there are people that have reasons why uh, why they can't wear face coverings, and it is to protect those people that we the rest of us need to, in the same way that. Um, that those of us that can have vaccinations should have vaccinations because there are some people that can't and therefore we are reducing the chances of uh, viral spread impacting the people that, that are not in a position to take up that measure. Um, it doesn't do any conceivable. It's, it, it might be a mild inconvenience. You might feel awkward. Um, there's the mild, mild humour of um, now it's a frightening thing for the shop assistants if you walk into a shop without a mask um, something covering yes. your face whereas before the opposite would be true but nonetheless i've i've started wearing mine when i go into in, into shops because i wanted to get used to doing it in advance and i don't see i don't think the virus is going to wait until next friday no um, no and, so and you're absolutely spot on simon it, it is that it, it, if, if you if you can why wouldn't you and um you know again i i personally am not heading to shops at the moment one of my challenges is that Millsy has no idea how to social distance. So I've taken the view of, you know, I'm not going to inconvenience others by breaking the social distancing, even though I guess legally I'm probably entitled to, I've got a, a waiver. But there's an element of if I was going out now, I'd be donning the face mask and, um, and, and headed that way. But the next milestone is the day after on Saturday, 25th, gymnasiums and swimming pools reopen so you, you've been much depressed by the lack of gym facilities oh, and how and how this is this is this is a big result for me this one so i will um you know whilst i am no sculpted god um the lack of gym as i've, I've gone turned to jelly and i, I think i'm in real bother because I go with my eldest lad, who obviously is 20, so he will not have lost the same amount that I have. And I fear it's all going to be a bit embarrassing, but I'm prepared to take the shame because I can get the lycra back on and head down. And the gym's already been in touch. There's all sorts of hand sanitising and deep cleaning and sensible stuff. And as I say, I'll take my big oafish son rather than my big dog so that we can social distance, which of course... Tom and I don't have to because we're from the same house. But yeah, great result. Gyms reopen. So a happy Ian. That's um Yes. That's a, that's a thing. So does this mean does this mean that your that your eldest will be forgiven for leaving your Eccles cake in the co-op? Ah, uh, now there's an update on that, which is he didn't leave it in the co-op, he left it in his car. Which having used the words, did you leave it in the car? And he went out and checked the car and said, no, I didn't leave in the car, but he has now found it. So I have an Eccles cake. All is well in my world. The timeline moves on. So now, so what's happening next then in, in the wonderful world of roadmap from Boris? Well, this one is a bit more controversial, which is as from the 1st of August, the government advice is going to change from work from home if you can 
And the change is going to be employers, if you can get your people, well, it's very, I'll be honest with this one, Simon, and you can have a free shot on this one. This one is more vague. It seems to me to be implying that you don't have to, if you can get your people back to work in a COVID safe environment, you should. But I'm not sure I'm very warm on this one. Um, um, okay, so I guess, so what the, so what the government are saying in effect there um, is that if your employer, um, and it was the bit that I heard kind of quoted elsewhere, so if your employer reaches um, with with um, with a, you know discuss it with your employees, but if your if your employer says that it's safe, you should go back to work. Um, so the yeah. government is saying employers um, can judge whether it's safe or not for their employees to go back to work. Um, against against the COVID safe guidelines. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Follow, following the, the COVID secure guidelines um, yeah. that are present. Um, they're not necessarily that kind of easy to interpret and implement in in the ver- multitude of variety of different workplaces that, that take place. In in certain set circumstances, it's going to be easy. It's going to be relatively easy. In others, it won't cause, just because of the, the amount of variety. But to be fair, that's also probably why the government can't prescriptively say... The, yeah, you know, this, this thing and it's can... a funny one, Simon, because, you know, again, I've shared that I now share my home office uh, with my eldest. And there's an element of he, he would much rather be back in the office. So he misses, I don't know whether sharing an office with me has driven him mad, but he misses the social dynamic of the office. But ultimately, and I don't want to speak for his employer, they found a way. They have their virtual teams meeting every morning. They're all operating remotely. So at the moment, his employer is not having to pay for the lighting, heating, coffee machine, photocopier at the office because all of he and his colleagues are working remotely. So in that scenario, I guess my my thought process is, well, if I was the employer, why, why would I be racing to turn all the lights back on? Um, I mean, to be honest, in... in um... It doesn't work in all industries, but in an office environment, um, I'd be almost inclined to to conclude whether you decide that you only need people to come into the office on a certain number of days a week. And therefore, if you do that on a rotated basis, therefore, actually, whether that's, you know, you only need people to come in working out of the office three days out of five. Does that actually then translate to you actually need 40% less office space? And therefore, if you're, you know, if you're in a position to be able to, Either subcontract, you know, uh, sublet, or yep. or dispose of uh, some of that office space. You've got a, you've got an opportunity to save yourself some money there. So, what what I find interesting amongst the so although there is it, it is reliant on employees and employers having a working relationship where the employees can freely say to the employer, "Well, actually, no, that's not safe," and the employer will yep. act upon it. So that. There's, to be fair, that there's that kind of level of reliance because let's be really honest with you, these things aren't really going to be policed. You know, the, the local copper isn't going to nip into the co-op and stick his head around the oh. door and see whether everyone's got a face mask on. Um, so I kind of wonder whether, you know, because that might, to be fair, that in it, in itself might cause some anxiety to people that have less than, rep, you know, less than understanding and reputable employers. 
Mm. Um, so that, oh, that think, kind of, and, uh, and they're most likely to be unsafe anyway. The one the ones that actually you know don't work constructively with their with their employees um, and don't really kind of pay that much attention to to um, to safety um, are probably more likely to actually put their employees at risk. Indeed. So also on the first of August, and there might be something in here for you, Simon. Um, skating rinks, bowling alleys. And most importantly, beauticians. So if your eyebrows are looking a bit out of hand and they need to be threaded, I'm still not sure what that is. You, you can you can get back to that on the 1st of August. Any of that particularly um, move you? Um, well, um, I did have one final point if I, if I got that I was kind of saving up before we moved on to the next one, which was that with regard to employers, so the government are saying. So when is it that employers are then become responsible for deciding when they're in, then when the workplace is safe to come back to? First of August. First of August. So the government are saying that in every workplace across the country, employers are the ones that have the are the final arbiters of deciding whether that work you know that workplace is safe um, for their employees to come back to. In every in every industry except for education where the government is saying that it's safe but not allowing head teachers to be the ones that make that decision um we'll come on to schools in a minute okay they're a bit later so i'll, I'll, so, skip, I'll skip back um, to your kind of comment about so your question about so you're asking about um beauticians, beauticians. so face-to-face -face work if i'm honest I've, I've been considering getting my ears pierced so um have you yeah I don't know why, but I felt a yearning for it, and I'd kind of decided that I was gonna. There was something that I was gonna look to do, and then, then basically, obviously, all the ear piercing places kind of shut. Yeah, Maybe I'm kind of, of going back to the eighties. I don't know. Yeah, first of August, could, you could be in. I could be in. On, on, on the downside, if you fancy going clubbing, nightclubs are still under review, as are soft play areas. Okay, so I was unlikely to go to either. Um, I guess the problem for for lots of nightclubs, especially the larger ones, is they would also have missed out on any of the help from the government because their the rateable values of their premises might exclude them from any of the financial help that that Rishi Sunak has so as the country's greatest socialist um, chancellor exchequer um, um, since John McDonald. Um, <laughs> Since John McDonald um, brought a You're new copy of his red book, <laughs> he doesn't like this, listeners. He doesn't like it. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, some nightclubs are going to be in a similar sort of situation to theatres, aren't they? In the sense of they're going to really struggle because they're going to be the last to open. They're um, they. Well, I mean, the theater, it depends whether theatres, theatres, and live entertainment venues are in. What indoor ones or just outdoor ones? Yep. No indoor ones. They so, can reopen with social distancing. So so that'll be interesting to kind of see whether that also includes any form of financial support. Because I know from when I, if, if I'm honest, from when I used to run a drama company, um, we make money by packing as many people in as possible. And you can't mm. do that with social, you know, the, the two things are contradictory. Um, so you can't do that. You can't stick an extra three rows of seats in because you've oversold tickets to your pantomime. Oh no, you can't. Um, oh yes, you can. <laughs> look at your profitability; it's behind you. Um, so it will be interesting to see how that works because just opening actually incurs more cost than actually being shut. 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, without actually the income stream. So it's a patchwork of how these kind of things will work and how they will work with, with measures. But I guess it will, it remains to be seen as to whether people will do what they need to do to continue these measures. Um, and he talked about some stuff about local um, controls, didn't he? Yeah. So just in the interest of time, obviously we're not going to get a chance to um, touch on the schools bit. So September, all schools and colleges will reopen. And what he said about universities is they're, working towards this day now october mm. um is a return to sporting arenas and business conferences subject to successful pilots so they're going to look to put some um sporting events back on but again we, we touched on this in the pre-show work which is you know by my reckoning um you know, and I guess if you're outdoors, even with a one metre gap, I think your sports stadium are only going to be able to be about 30% of their usual capacity. Um, but again, that's that's what we're planning for October. So, and then, October... and then the final piece was where we're hoping for normality by November or at least by Christmas. Yeah, I'm I'd love to, I'd, I, I. I worry that actually what we might be facing by November or Christmas is actually a second wave. Um, and I, and I, and I, um, hopefully that, that might just turn out to be, uh, a bit of pessimism on my, on my part. Um, but, um, I'm a bit disappointed that conferences, um, aren't till October. So that, that misses conference season. So that means that I'm not going to get, get a chance to muscle down to Brighton with a load of Lib Dems and enjoy, Surely you can, you can, the 27 of you can manage that with a bit of social distancing. <laughs> oh, bless him. Um, oh, bless him. Math's obviously not Ian's strong point, but, you know, then again, you know. Yeah, it's better now, isn't it? Taught by Chris there was a time when There was a time when you could get the whole parliamentary party to the commons in a Ford Galaxy. <sighs> ah. But moving on, so there, there is an element of, you know, look, and again, this all comes with the caveats that, you know, if it goes wrong, then, you know, we've got to do some reversal. I guess the final cap for this today is that um, one of the things um, Boris was saying in the Telegraph is that he does not believe we will go back to national lockdowns. A national lockdown, I think he is envisaging that, that, you know, and again, we may be picking this up next week, that council's got more powers to to move quicker locally um and that's seen as the, the the sort of vehicle to us living in some sort of normality didn't didn't chris witty give a different answer to that uh, if he did i haven't picked up on it yeah i, I yeah I, I believe he's quoted as as um as not saying that um national lot as as not mm, as i don't think he went as far as to say that national lockdowns are likely but he also didn't say that national lockdowns are unlikely forget I, I i'm sorry forgive me for not having the precise yeah, quote, but it I was think, interesting to the see the Boris used was like the uh, divergence he considered it to be like a nuclear deterrent something that could happen but he'd be very low to use i don't know that that comparison's really comforting considering he already used no, it sure um, it is um on his own country um yes but um 
Um, far be it from me to make comments about how destructive Boris Johnson has been on his own country. Um, so so um, that wouldn't be like me at all. So um, what's coming up in the week ahead? We've got the full council meeting taking place in the city. Yeah, we weren't going to look at that, but most of the questions were so yes. bilge in their nature. I'd um, like to just politically posture. Can I posture politically, please? Can I make an observation about something which is as obvious as the hair on my head? Yes. So, so we didn't get a lot out of those, did we? No, we 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 chucked some ideas around about how to about, about whether to speak to any, speak to any of the issues that were kind of coming up and um, pull them apart a bit. But we kind of we kind of felt that actually we that, got bored by our own pre-work. Yes, we? and we and we also <laughs> we also we, were bored, we also realised that going to love it. Yeah, we also realised that we could speak about them. But to be really honest, what would be great would be having people from the parties coming on and speaking about them. And they weren't likely to do that ahead of their opportunity to grandstand via Zoom in the full council meeting. So, um, so actually, or isn't actually the full council meeting a hybrid of physical and digital? Was uh, it? I, I, um, I, I, either way, I should be I should be following it from from the distance that is the distance between the Guildhall and Cosham. Um, so so there we are. But of course, next week Parliament goes into recess. Yeah, we'll probably take a break for a couple of weeks, won't we? Yeah, is that what the listeners want? Well, well, we're going to anyway, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you can we can pretend you, 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 we we um, we'd allow you to so. vote on it, but we would ignore it. Um, no. So, um, so um, or if we didn't like the result, we'd claim that they had been rigged by Russia anyway. Oh, of course, the um, the Russia report comes out this week. It does. It will be Very interesting to see to read that. whether that right. is heavily redacted. You've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast, Blue and Yellow Till We Die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I've been Simon Sansbury.